Hi, Psychodrama listeners. Thank you for tuning in this week. The past week has been particularly difficult for our country, and we wanted to acknowledge these events as they are occurring, and in particular, the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, among many others. These are particularly difficult times for our country, and as we go on to this episode, we wanted to first acknowledge these events, and maybe sometime in the future we'll be talking about them. But in the meantime, we wanted to also provide you guys with some resources that may be helpful as we go through these difficult times. The American Psychiatric Association has said the APA condemns all acts of police brutality. These acts have a harmful impact on the mental well-being of all Americans, especially the black community, exacerbating stress, anxiety, and other mental health disorders. So especially in light of that, wanted to mention a book that recently came out called The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health by Dr. Rita Walker, who actually went to Florida State University, where Leo and I both went. The book just arrived today, and I think that it looks like it has a number of useful tools in it. We'll link to it in the show notes, and then we'll also link to the Boris L. Henson Foundation, which is offering free virtual therapy support by culturally competent therapists for people who are struggling during COVID-19. That's right. Thank you. And please take care of each other. Welcome to Psychodrama Podcast. This is your co-host, Katie Gordon. And this is your co-host, uh, Leo Wadija, with rhymes with quesadilla and tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> what else does it rhyme with? Have you thought of a third in case you need to mix it up? I have, but it's also a Spanish last name, so it doesn't make much sense. Padilla, which is another last name, but that doesn't really help, I guess. Or, yeah, no, that's it. It breaks I'll think the food trend. I'll, I'll have to think of something else for the for the next episodes. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me cook on that one. Okay, How are so, you, Katie? Well, it has been a really, really hard week. And when we pick the topic for this, which is something that, I care a lot about, which is um, focused on weight stigma and um, something I've done research on. And you're an expert was, subject, uh, a subject well, expert. Well, thank you. I try. I will say I have a, a graduate student. Well, I had a graduate student. She's graduated now that did her dissertation on this topic and um, was fortunate to learn a lot from her as well. And what prompted this episode which it seems like it happened so long ago because there's so much yeah. going on. But on in May 19th, I think it was, or May 18th, somewhere around there, Nancy Pelosi commented on Trump's weight. And, and there was kind of controversy about whether it was fat shaming, whether it was appropriate. And we wanted to dive into that. But as you and I both talked about and acknowledged in the beginning, we realized there are a lot of other things going on. So we we are going to talk about this topic, but may focus on other topics in the future. That's right. Yeah. And I think it's also, as I think about it, it's just part of our, I think part of one of our missions in our, or, well, missions are the things that we would like to accomplish with our podcast is to try to use psychological science to create a better society. So I think we're kind of just weaving it into the idea of trying to, how do, how can we use our science and its findings in order to create uh, a better environment for us all? So I think even though it may not be directly related to exactly what is happening and uh, you know, right now as we're recording this, uh, it does fit into the trend of wanting to improve the lives of everybody. And this includes um, people who may fa- be facing um, fat shaming and uh, overweight stigma. That's that's right. So what what happened was about a couple a couple of weeks ago, Trump, this is from a USA Today article that I'll link to. Trump had told reporters that he was taking hydroxychloroquine. Is that how it's pronounced? If, I believe so. Hydroxychloroquine. OK, for a, for about a week and a half to stave off infection from coronavirus. And importantly, um, this is currently being clinically tested, but the the CDC points out it has not been shown to be safe and effective for treating or preventing COVID-19 to date, and it should not be taken outside of a hospital setting or a clinical trial due to risk of heart rhythm problems. Trump said that he had a feeling it was effective and said, what do you have to lose? Take it. 
So then during an interview on CNN, um, Nancy Pelosi was asked what her reaction was to the news that the president was taking the medication despite the FDA warning that he shouldn't be doing that. She replied, he's our president and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved by the scientists, especially in his age group and his, shall we say, weight group, morbidly obese, they say. So I think it's not a good idea. That clip went viral of her talking to um, Anderson Cooper about it. And the tweet that went, one of the tweets that went viral about it was said, Pelosi just called um, Donald Trump morbidly obese on CNN and she did it while expressing concern for his health. I can't stop laughing. She's so good at this. And that had, at last time I looked at it, about 18,000 retweets on Twitter. That's right. Yeah. So and that, you know, that that's one of many other tweets that received a lot of attention going back and forth regarding this um, this issue. And we actually even made a, a small poll in our Twitter, in our Twitter account. It's a perfect example of a very uh, prominent figure in American uh, in American in the American landscape to make a statement. Um, and that while in the context of politics, people may use that as a weapon, then maybe not think too much about the effects that it may have on other people, you know, other people who may be facing weight stigma. So then we decided to think, you know, well, th think more thoroughly about the ramifications of it. And one of the things I should say, too, is that, like you were saying, we we did a poll on Twitter and on Instagram, and we gave people options to say, like, what their response was to it. And there was, there were some... To be some fair, people... we, were trying to be, we were trying to be talking cheeky about it as well. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we, we in our traditional psychodrama kind of tongue-in-cheeky fashion, sometimes we have serious issues with a couple of ha-has interspersed. We did use a very scientific Likert scale <laughs> that ranged from lit, you know, little flame emoji little to little flame emoji to, uh, you know, I don't know what it would be the other one, but it was like rolling of the eyebrows to a ha-ha one and another one, I don't remember. The, the one, screaming sorry. one. Screaming one, right. And one of the, the hand over the mouth one, but we only were allowed four options on Twitter and <laughs> two bad. on Instagram. So I wanted the kind of the claps like a pa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, kind of thing. <laughs> so on Twitter, I will say we did get some people selecting the LOL emoji and the fire emoji, but the majority right. picked the eye roll emoji. Now, the majority of people who follow us tend to be mental health professionals. So right. I, I, wanted, I wanted to reflect back to our listeners how they voted, but this is not conclusive, obviously. It isn't. <laughs> but it <laughs> did start off. a very scientific, scientific survey. Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't the most sciencey part of this episode, but it was important. It was important to include. So then, as the story continues, a little a little more background, and then we we did want to talk about some of the psych aspects of this. And I and I did want to say a couple of side notes about Pelosi's comment, which is that the term morbid or severe obesity isn't used as commonly anymore. The CDC defines three levels of obesity and the highest level is class three. And I, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that to be corrective of her language or anything, but just. That was actually it, one of the points that like, mm -hmm. you know, as, as, as the Twitter, as the Twitter sphere, you know, went a lit there for a couple of days on it. Uh, Joyce Carol Oates, who I will say now has been mentioned twice in our podcast. Uh, Have you ever read anything by her I, besides that tweet that I, I sent you? You will laugh, but I, I I may have read a couple of her short stories in a magazine that is intended for gentlemen. Well, good for you. I haven't read anything <laughs> other than that tweet that I sent you. <laughs> so you've yeah, only read a couple of that. And I, do, I don't remember exactly what it is, but I do remember as we were having that episode regarding... Uh, porn, and I don't know if we'll have to kind of cut this out later, but I do remember at some point I was like, was, I was like, really? She was there? So, and I went and looked at her up because I knew about her, and sure enough, uh, Joyce Carol Oates have in, has indeed posed several times on Playboy. Uh, quite good. Wow. Yeah, but anyway, and so... Uh, but we digress. She, but we digress. The point is that she tweeted She's in She's a saying, writer, so she knows language is the point. 
precisely and she made exactly that point that is like you know technically this is a term that is neutral right this is a medical term but what you're saying now is that it is actually also kind of falling out of favor and is it because it, it in itself could be stigmatizing or because it, you know it implies that that the, the person may be at increased risk of death but i don't know what what may be the impetus for shifting the language yeah it's it's a good question i mean i think that there's been some movement away from, I think there's been more movement to saying there are higher risks with certain body mass indices rather than saying like a general statement that everyone at this weight has this physical mm -hmm. health because there's a lot of variability within that. And so it gets to be more descriptive. So the person that Joyce Carol Oates is responding to, if you're very, very online Twitter user, might be familiar with the anonymous account or pseudon, pseudon, pseudonymous. How do you say that word? Pseudonymous. It's a pseudonym. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Alice from Queens. And so it started because she said, is it okay to fat shame Trump? Is going to be a tough call for folks on this platform on Twitter. Not sure I can watch their moral agony unfold in real time, although... Sorry, Alice from Queens. That's what this episode is going to be about in a little bit. Um, and so then she said, like you said, morbid obesity is a medical term, though it has a pejorative and even somewhat comical ring. It is actually based upon weight height proportions and is a neutral description. And then I think what Alice from Queens responded with was, was interesting because it's something I've thought about before. So I find it interesting. But certainly, though, I expect the term to be anathematized. Is that how you pronounce that? I don't know where where within a few few years like other once neutral medical terms so not to go too much onto a side point here but i think you know i think what alice is saying like i think about other places like in the diagnostic and statistical manual there for a long time there have been different words used for someone who has a, a lower in, intellectual quotient right starting with i mean there are words like right, right like moron and imbecile, idiot, idiot imbecile right. and all that stuff and then they became pejorative and then more recently it was um, mental retardation right that literally meant Correct. like slower development it was supposed to be descriptive but that has been changed to intellectual deficit so i think with obesity it is, you know, and morbid, obviously, that those kinds of things come as a pejorative and have been used that way. And so I think some people argue that, like, actually, we should continue to use the same terms and even some people calling themselves fat activists and let's continue to use those terms, let's but let's just yeah. use them without stigma rather than, like, having a moving target. But regardless, class three is the current descriptor and reportedly, according to this USA Today article, Trump's doesn't fall into that category based on his most recent reported height and weight. That also the other point I'd say is the FDA warning for hydroxychloroquine doesn't actually say obese people are at greater risk from the drug's potentially fatal side effects. It talks about people with heart and kidney disease are being more likely to have heart problems. So this suggests perhaps, I can't read her mind, but maybe that Pelosi was trying to use morbid obesity as an insult, or maybe she was just assuming negative health beliefs associated with obesity. I'm not sure what it is. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I mean, if I had to guess, this was definitely a way she's an astute politician and definitely someone who is willing to take, um, you know, the fight to a person. And uh, I think many observers have noted that one of the ways in which um, the president responds is if, any kind of uh, digs at his appearance, whatever that may be. So I think that was a, that's a very pointed comment. And so that's, I think, you know, with apologies to uh, that, what was that account to? Uh, with our apologies to Alice, uh, Alice from Queens, we are about to have a, a, a moral agony unfold in real time. We As are. We, actually, we should tag uh, her in this, actually, and, and let her should. know to avoid uh, it. <laughs> Because I think it's, you know, well, I guess we, the, the way we think about it is like, okay, so we are trying to, uh, should we hold ours, you know, I'm not going to delve too much into our 
own pol- uh, personal politics. But depending on you know which side of the of the fence you are in, uh, whichever person is then wielding that uh, rhetorical weapon, you tend to agree with or and you know LOL and uh, you know yes queen about. But if it's the other person on the other side of the of the of the political spectrum uses it, then you're outraged about it, and then we think well, and also what is the long the long term effects on this? And so would it be better if we try to be morally consistent or you know about it and you mentioned you, you gave me an example and as we were preparing for the uh, episode uh, about people making fun of um stacy abrams mm-hmm. or something about uh when when she was running for governor and basically exactly the same thing it's just people on one side maybe using exactly the same um joke if you will yeah, in order to attack a person on the opposite side of the pol- political spectrum and i certainly you know i kind of had the reaction like I had one reaction to one side and another reaction to the other, and I'm like, wait a minute, is that is that morally consistent? And as a person who strives to be, you know, morally superior to others, so I can feel. <laughs> I thought you were going to say maintain principles, but morally yes, superior yes, that's is just exactly so what I meant. <laughs> Stupid id just jumped out and <laughs> talked for me, but no. All joking aside, you know, it is interesting, you know, is it, I think it's uh, one of the things we want to explore is, do we want to, uh, in, in the words of, uh, the, you know, the, both the former and the current first ladies, actually, uh, you know, should we, should we go high? When a person goes low, should we go high? Do we want to do uh, best as the current first lady does? And uh, I don't well, know. That's right. And, and that's. That's something. This is an area that you that you. That this is definitely more your area. So, what do you what do you think is the the, the approach here? Well, I one one thing I want to point out. You mentioned about Stacey Abrams. Maybe even to explain that a little more, because I think there's two elements. One is like, yes, is it ever okay to try to make fun of someone or put them down because of their weight, even if that's a person who, like you said, is kind of on the the other side politically from you. But I think there's another point here, which is Trump has a history of hurling insults, right? And so people might view it as more fair game. And in fact, this person tweeted, we just got to look at the official portrait for the real or for the self-proclaimed governor of Georgia. She fought a tough race, kissed a lot of babies and visited every buffet restaurant in the state. And it has a picture of Stacey Abrams and it says Joe will be racist if he doesn't pick her. And then Donald Trump retweeted that, right? So this is May 22nd. This is after it happened. So, and we've also heard other times that he is explicitly, right, talked about people's weight and appearance. Right. And in addition to or that, disability. or disability, um, race, I mean, he's made That's different it. comments. Mm-hmm. He regularly uses the term like, low intellect or low IQ. Mm. And then in response to Pelosi at first on Tuesday, he said, when asked about it, I don't respond to her. I think she's a waste of time. But I think later, actually, in the same day, when asked about what what she said on CNN, Trump said, Pelosi is a sick woman. She's got a lot of problems, a lot of mental problems, which is another insult that he uses, that someone has mental problems. Right. So I think that on one hand, like you said, there's like kind of like, do we rise above or whatever? Or is it like certain people, if they dish it out, can they take it? Right. Like that, that right. kind of part of That's it. That's exactly right. So at what point does the, the, the person who dabbles a lot in this kind of verbal spar- sparring should not be also complain whenever uh, they receive it? Now, whether it's right or wrong i guess the way i think what is it you know is is it helpful overall at the societal level to elevate our discourse and i think that's what we think and, and all joking aside uh, part of the reason that we started the podcast is because we wanted to elevate uh our discourse regarding certain topics that can be difficult injecting science into it right so yeah. in this case we're that's kind of what we're trying to do without also dabbling too much into politics but I, I actually, if I may, kind of quote um, Michelle Obama real quick, because I do like a mm-hmm. quote that going high doesn't mean that you don't feel the hurt or you're not entitled to an emotion. It means that your response has to reflect the solution. 
It shouldn't come from a place of anger or vengefulness. Barack and I had to figure that out. Anger may feel good in the moment, but that is not going to move the ball forward. And I, I really love that quote because it really just speaks to that ability that, we, that it's something that we talk about often in, in our show is having that uh, inhibitory control to not engage in the first impulse. So when we talk to Joel, when we're talking about self-care, and it's about stopping that that initial impulse that may be emotional and think, okay, is this in the long term going to be helpful or not? And, you know, if I wanted to be devil's advocate, you know, while I may think, that, you know, that a certain dig at a political figure would be funny or, you know, lit or, you know, mm-hmm. yes, queen fired a couple of claps, um, then I have to think, okay, so how is this going to, what reaction is this going to elicit? Is this going to serve? Uh, the constituents or the country and the overall discourse that we're trying to achieve is it going to serve that goal? Do I do I want to get back to a time or not even get back to time or move into a direction in which we which we reach a higher level of discourse in politics or do we want to continue doing the current um, you know Twitter slam dunk festival? And I you know I, I guess I would go for the former rather than the latter. You know, that is my preference, but I I do think especially there are people who argue that the way to win is basically to have those quips and comebacks and stuff like that. So when the way, you know, I, I agree with you and I especially like what Michelle Obama then says, for me, when you're a public figure in power, everything you do models what you want the country to do. And to me, that's that's really important. And I think that it's hard because I think that there can be conflicting or competing agendas in terms of trying to attract voters or appear powerful versus appearing to kind of take the high road. And obviously people are going to like different things. But when mm-hmm. it comes to weight stigma for me and thinking about the harm it can cause, which we'll go into some of the research on that in a moment. It's nice to have a public figure in power who is saying your emotions are completely valid, right? But what I'm going to do is a model for what I want the country to do. To Mm -hmm. me, I think that's really meaningful. Right. Yeah. And so again, we could probably do a whole episode with a political scientist regarding what the you know what's more effective you know whether taking this kind of effects and i know there's a lot of uh people who've done some of that so i don't want to get too down the weeds on that Um, no i would be speculating a ton on that i don't i don't know my guess is there are people who like both things which is kind of why people fell into different places about this people who didn't have an opinion people who felt and then people who kind of felt like they were really glad that she said that and people who were unhappy that she said it. Yeah. So what I what I do wonder regarding, you know, so why in general, why do people engage in uh, kind of fat shaming behavior? Uh, and it reminded me a lot of um, recently, there was also a similar kind of brouhaha with the Jillian mm-hmm. something. She's a... Michaels. Pretty well, Tom Michaels, right? So she's a well-known trainer for, I think it was The Biggest Losers, the show. Yeah. And so she was one of the personal trainers in the show. But just what do you think about that show? Well, they're the the people in the field of eating disorders tend yeah. to not like that show because it encourages a number of well, anytime you have a reality show, mm, there's a conflict of interest, I think, in, in serving someone's health because you want it to be dramatic, right? And so there are things that they do, really rapid weight loss and extreme behaviors that are not yeah. considered healthy, maintainable behaviors. And yet the show does best if they have people have these dramatic changes and they have these dramatic right. moments and all that kind of stuff. So there have actually, uh, people have kind of within the field have made statements about that and concern about some of the approaches that occur Mm. on the show. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to see what the research shows regarding people who, uh, you know, if they watch the shows where they feel, are they effective in actually motivating people to be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Or do they just kind of continue fitting into the, 
into the stigma and the shame that the person may have regarding it. But it reminded I'd me be of, surprised yeah. if it if it just based on general research and, mm-hmm. and what we know what tends to help people and maintain healthy behaviors. I'd be surprised if the show led to a lot of healthy behaviors that people maintain. I'm not saying that's yeah. true for everyone, but on average. That would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it reminded me of, of that because she was making a comment regarding Lisa, who is, I, I love her. I actually do think of her music a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, her weight and basically saying, you know, why should we, you know, basically kind of praising her music, but at the same time making a comment about her weight uh, being dangerous, etc. So, and I, you know, I can't look into that person, into Jillian Michaels's real intentions and actual concern. But I think part of the blowback that she um, received was because uh, it was kind of, it sounded as if it was kind of masking concern, just the way that mm-hmm. perhaps people could accuse um, Nancy Pelosi. Like you were masking concern mm-hmm. for the person's health. But in reality, what you're doing is shaming the person because you happen to be, you know, feeling it like whatever, you know, morally outraged or disgusted or feeling it like for that person's physique. Um, and so, yeah, it's, and what, what does the research say regarding why or do you know, like when people fat shame or or, you know, how helpful of a technique it is in order to actually help people if that's what you're trying to do? Um, well, w- one thing to just mention about the Lizzo comment and Jillian Michaels, you know, one of the things is that I think that Lizzo has become, for a lot of people, a beloved figure of yeah. someone who has worked hard on self-acceptance. And she talks about how hard she's worked on that and that she does these shows that require a lot of athleticism, you know, yeah. where she's doing a lot of stuff throughout that. And so... I think people were pretty frustrated with that because obviously Jillian Michaels business is making people wanting to lose weight, right. And be thin. And Lizzo is that's, that's not what her business and her industry is. Right. Right. And then secondly, the idea is you shouldn't really comment on someone's health based on their weight because you can't tell. And a lot of those assumptions that even medical professionals have Mm -hmm. lead to things like, missing actual medical problems and things like that. So having her comment on her health is not, you know, Jillian Michaels is, is not her physician. She's not even a mm. physician. And mm. so I think that was part of the issue with it. But you're right too, is that people didn't feel like, Oh, you're genuinely concerned. You didn't like send her a private message. You publicly said that, right? Right. Not that sending a private message is really any of her business anyway. But um, <laughs> so, so anyway, I think, in terms of why do people do it? I think some people will argue that they think it'll help people to get into shape. I've Mm. even heard people and teaching classes over the years and stuff like that say that they think that obesity might be caused by not enough shaming. The research Mm. actually suggests that, that shaming fat shaming behavior is and bullying and weight teasing is actually linked to increased Problem, right. you know, problematic or disordered eating, including binge eating, and in some studies, reduced likelihood of going to the gym. They think because of self consciousness. Yeah. So it doesn't. I mean, and we know this from doing therapy that shame often makes people want to hide, and it doesn't yeah. motivate them, right? Because now they have all these negative emotions, and so they're more likely to turn to to mm-hmm. unhealthy coping strategies. Right. Um, right that they've been working on, that they've been relying on before. And rather than motivating the person to kind of just try something else, it just kind of sends them back into the behavior that the person supposedly wants them to stop. Exactly. And I, and I think there's also this, the idea that society in the United States has shifted to completely body positive and Mm. acceptance and stuff like that. I think that that's, well, that's exaggerated, right? Mm. I think that what seems to be underlying it is a belief about obesity, that it's associated with um, moral unworthiness or laziness mm-hmm. or a lack of control. And therefore, you're entitled to insult people when they're overweight. And so I think that's reinforced by, right, we have a very booming diet industry that thrives on saying, like, you've got to lose weight. And you need to buy our product. And 
Um, other things like that, right? We know that body shape preferences and norms change over time and are influenced. It's right. not completely culture, but that's that's one aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I do, I can think of, you know, movies or, you know, culture, pop cultural references and, you know, advertising and, and uh, non materials, but, you know, programs and things in order to lose weight have definitely been around for at least the latter part of the, the 20th century. But as you mentioned, you know, body standards do certainly change and, you know, cross culture is what's considered beautiful or desirable changes, including things associated with BMI change. Mm -hmm. So it is interesting when in thinking about the, the Jillian Michaels Lizzo thing is like, you know, you're, I'm just trying to help it. It's like, how much is it that you're just reinforcing a, you know, a quote unquote desirable body type for our current time and, and time and place rather than something in the past or even in other places in the world in which that may not be the case. I mean, that aligns with what she devotes her career to, what Jillian Michaels devotes her career to. And and so one counterpart of it has been this idea of moving towards health at every size, which focuses less on like yo-yo dieting, weight loss, extreme things, and more activity, eating well, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And there was recently in Nature this joint international consensus statement for ending stigma of obesity that was written by international experts from different disciplines. And I thought it was really helpful because it, it reviewed the available evidence on causes and harms of weight stigma. And then they developed this joint consensus statement with recommendations to eliminate weight bias so I thought mm -hmm. that was cool because one of their main points was to encourage education about weight stigma to facilitate, and I'm quoting here, so we'll link to right. this, a new public narrative about obesity that's coherent with modern scientific knowledge, not rather than kind of stereotypes and things that are associated with obesity. Yeah, it's a, to me, this is really interesting to, and you, you definitely know more about this literature regarding um cultural influences but also even within the united states culture right so because i i one person and many people have made this argument that really the uh the the culture the at least the body ideal type that is being put forth maybe the one for within the united states for the dominant culture that may be perhaps dominated by oh, i don't know white anglo-saxon protestant rather than other other um other groups and i Believe, I remember we were in grad school, so people, our friend Marisol Perez, who also does research in this area, looking at cross-cultural body ideals, and they do, there's a fluctuation, there's variance within different ethnic groups regarding what they consider to be ideal body types, further suggesting that this may be separate from whether it be real or fake concerns about the person's weight or body, but it's more about what it's considered to be good or desirable. I think it would be more honest to acknowledge that some of it is about aesthetic preference, you know, mm -hmm. that rather than using health as an excuse to say that's what the issue is. And as the statement says, then you're adding to the problem with weight stigma. So they go on to say, often perceived without evidence as lazy, gluttonous, lacking willpower and self-discipline. Individuals with overweight or obesity are vulnerable to stigma and discrimination in the workplace, education, healthcare settings, and society in general, and they cite evidence for all of this. Weight stigma can cause considerable harm to affected individuals, including physical and psychological consequences. The damaging impact of weight stigma, however, extends beyond harm to individuals. The prevailing view that obesity is a choice and that it can be entirely reversed by voluntary decisions to eat less and exercise more, can actually exert, I added the actually, negative influences hmm. on public health policies, access to treatments and research. So the idea is, going back to Pelosi's comment and linking it to here, is if you perpetuate the idea about this obesity being a choice or mm -hmm. whatever it is or something to, to ridicule, it actually also takes us away from realistic ways to help reduce health issues and reduce problems for individuals. And so I think that that's how I tend to think about it, that even if Trump hurls insults specifically about appearance and people's weights, mm -hmm. I understand 
the temptation to feel like, oh, good, Pelosi was able to kind of get him where it bothers him. But to Mm -hmm. me, I'm thinking about all the other people affected, kind of back to Michelle Obama's point, Mm -hmm. and what they're seeing modeled rather than just thinking about Trump, because they're both obviously public figures. So it's not like it's a Mm -hmm. private conversation where she just threw out a jab at him, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I don't really know how much, you know, how much, do you think there's been a lot of progress in this in this area are we mo- making movement forward because i think it feels like we've been making these points for a long time but i don't know if there's any evidence suggesting that we're actually moving forward or there's been any progress uh and i'm just going by anecdotal you know, observation it's just it seems that we've been talking about it for a long time and uh you know the same you know the same issues kind of keep coming up and i don't know how much if there's actually been change uh, I don't know if the rates of surgery or, you know, elective surgery or people dieting has increased or decreased or there's actually been a, any any movement forward in this area. Are you talking about bariatric surgery? And, weight well, loss bariatric surgery. weight loss surgery. Uh, but I, I guess I was thinking about plastic surgery as well. Just oh. thinking, just in general, like self-acceptance, I don't know. How, I, don't, I don't think it's, I think it's getting worse rather than better, but I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I don't. I don't know um, in terms of broad survey data. I do know that there seems to be, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's the mainstream influence, but I have anecdotally mm-hmm. heard both from mental health professionals and from physicians um, and, and from patients and just people I know uh, raised awareness about weight bias. I think the language is definitely out there more. I think that people understand that and that's more widespread. And I think that that's helpful. There is a really great article in Huffington Post mm-hmm. that kind of talks about a lot of these um, scientific points. I think it was Jason Turkis. Let me let me look. Well, if I'm pronouncing his name right, but um, <laughs> it's okay. It's 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 about this, is... it's, it's this part of the show in which we <laughs> completely mispronounce a last name and or uh, completely botch a quote. It's very important to do that. <laughs> it, the article is called "Everything You Know About Obesity Is Wrong." I thought it was him, but it might have been someone else. He wrote a really good article on suicide, but that's not the topic of that's this show. Okay, I found I did find the article, which I will I will link to. Oh, it's not by him. It's by Michael Hobbs. I think that people who are trying to be healthy at any size, meaning again, they're eating healthy, yeah. exercising, people who are trying to accept their bodies might have more places to turn to than they have in the past. Obviously, mm-hmm. Lizzo's been a huge force in this, I think, mm-hmm. but also activists who have done that. But I don't, I don't know what it looks like. My guess is we still would see a fair number of people dieting and and having problems with body dissatisfaction. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I just don't don't know. I think the um, every time I see something in one side, you always see a reaction, and I, a lot of it is on data. It's like, well. The data shows that people who are worried have all these problems and then there's no such thing as being fit and fat or something like that. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. There's there's I know there's been um, maybe I've heard a few shows in, in which to talk about it. And like whether we actually have an, you know, an obesity epidemic in America or we don't uh, and what the culprits are. And I think uh, like many of the stuff that the issues are tough because there's data that appears to be almost contradictory at times. And that's so what's point is like, well, I don't even, I don't even know what, 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 where the signal and the noise starts. Absolutely. I think one thing that is clear is that weight bias and weight stigma don't help people to get healthier. Mm-hmm. And in some places seem to be linked to some of those increase the likelihood of mental right. health and physical health issues when you're looking at, Again, I, you know, are, are physicians assuming that the weight is the problem? I've heard this anecdotally a few times, and then they're missing something that's wrong medically because mm. they assume that the weight mm-hmm. is causing what other symptoms they're reporting. Got and, it. and then also, um, I, in, in working with people who have eating disorders, 
sometimes there there's a statement or multiple statements that they've heard about their weight or shape and they turn to disordered eating. So it's kind of either way, regardless of, I, I, I agree it's complex when we're talking about the link between obesity and health, but what we do know is that weight stigma doesn't help any of it. Okay. And so I, I like this one perspective. There's a, um, there's an author who's a lawyer who talks a lot about, Oh, I think he's retired now, but a lot about his past mental health problems. And a while back when there was another thing about people um, talking about Trump's weight and kind of, you know, it's not just Pelosi in that one tweet, right. Then there are a lot of people. Yeah. They kind of jump on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and he was saying that he's personally didn't vote for Donald Trump and doesn't, he said that he's pained by a lot of negative things that he's heard from him, but he, but he says, um, and I'll link to this article too, but how does fat shaming advance any of that? You know, fat shaming children and teens see those words. They think it's okay to judge people based on their appearance or bully based on appearance. Some of them will develop eating disorders or other mental health and self-image issues. Again, I think that's more likely from an accumulation. I don't think that's, Mm -hmm. or, you know, something significant that happens. I don't think that's from seeing Pelosi call Trump something but anyway um right. he, he so he says i see something that plays the for kids, i mean i don't know the kids mm-hmm. these days they just are crazy about the, the legislator they, if there's anything that seven that mean seven and eighth graders <laughs> these days they look for us the, the speaker of the house for tips on how to just bully everybody else well seriously <laughs> yeah i mean i think you know, but if you think about it, there are plenty of TV shows where the joke is still like that sure. the person's overweight, right? Like that's an easy punching bag. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like Keith had a professor in college, Lenzen Weger, you might know him he's just in mm-hmm. psychology. Mm-hmm. And he said back then, oh, and my husband, the listeners who are just that's my husband. <laughs> Sorry. Is, uh... <laughs> I'm not having a private conversation with my friend. Leon. <laughs> Um, he said that he said the two groups that it's still socially acceptable to make fun of are people who are overweight and people who have mental illnesses. And that a lot of the time that will still be accepted. I think there's pushback on that, but I also think probably some of it is the circles I'm in, which are mental health professionals who care a lot about that stuff. So, yeah, it's, as we were preparing for this, uh, the, the, the show, and I think I mentioned it to you that I kept thinking about our episode in which we talked to Tom Ford about uh, humor and, he talked about it sticks with me a lot still uh, he used the term humor ethics and he explained to us how uh it was you know the, the ethics about who who is allowed which groups are allowed to be made fun of and which aren't shifts depending on social movements and it seems as if you know he said so in some cases uh, it's like for example, and the example that he used, I think, was uh, sexual minorities. There used to be a timing true that was an easy, you know, you could definitely make fun of in a in a and even in an open context, you know. And you could think about popular culture and jokes. It was often it could be it made fun of um, as kind of the as I said the punching bag, but that you know that the the social norms and mores have evolved so that that's no longer okay. And it made me just kind of think about if we're at that point in our in our collective history. In which that is no no longer you know as much we always reference not always but we often reference comedians because I think uh, that that's a deep vein in our in our show. <laughs> that's but true. Louis Anderson it, it immediately comes to mind, and you know I I have to give credit. I actually was watching a clip by him last night, and half of his routine was just him making fun. And to be fair, he just made fun of himself, but mm-hmm. all of it was about his own eating habits and his weight, mm-hmm. and. I wonder, you know, uh, you know, that was he was uh, performing in, in Carson. Um, that's right, kids, tune in. I, <laughs> in this show, we take, <laughs> we just, we know how to keep it hip by talking about the house speaker of the house and Louis, you know, Louis Anderson, who you have no idea who he is, and the Carson show. What? What? <laughs> we did have Lizzo in there, so it was a bone. 
<laughs> we are generation Xers that pretend to be cool and hip. Do they still say that? Cool and hip? <laughs> they will now after listening they will to now this, after this very relatable so, show. <laughs> absolutely. Ninth graders will be just without t-shirts or psychodrama. We'll I'm not like even an Xer, by the way. You're not? No. Oh my God. I can't. <laughs> Can we just... Are you sure? Are you a millennial? No, I'm a I'm an exennial. <laughs> exennial. There's a there's such a thing. I I fall out. I'm actually a Gen Z. I'm a, <laughs> no, I'm not a Gen Z, but I am. <laughs> I I'm not. I'm I'm either. It depends. I'm either an elder millennial. <laughs> depends on which article on Top Sugar you're looking at. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but according according to BuzzFeed, my true age <laughs> is is either Gen Z or Boomer. My <laughs> true generation. It's true. The greatest generation. Yeah, it could but, go either way. But right. the point. <laughs> the point is, there used to be a time in which you know, uh, you, if you watch any comedy show or anything, you know, the the, the fat kid. I you know, as I love Goonies and part the mm-hmm. a big. Oh gosh, Our yeah. was uh, Chunk. I mean, literally, his name was Chunk, mm-hmm. um, and that is a, it's a that was part of the deal. It's, that's certainly um, part of the public culture. And I don't know, I don't watch much. You know, I don't know what kids watch these days in Nickelodeon, or if they even watch Nickelodeon for Christ's sake. As I continue sounding like a geriatric patient. Um, <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, there's anything wrong with that. Oh, here it comes to me. Oh boy, now I'm gonna have to put a statement for this one. But um, well, that but, was another thing which we don't have to go into now. But is okay, boomer okay? Because like, is that a group? It's okay to make fun of because of the age. But we'll right. go into that another time, maybe. We'll, we'll do. We'll deal with that later. Yeah. But yeah, so it, it maybe it is shifting. Maybe uh, we're getting to a point in which people who are, um, you know, fat activists and or people who are researchers and saying this is not helpful. And people who are overweight are moving from that uh, group in which was allowed, it was okay to make fun of, to no longer be okay. So maybe we'll yeah. move forward. Yeah, we'll, well see. I, yeah, I, I agree because I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, think about if you're an overweight kid and, like, everyone's laughing at a dude named Chunk and Goonies. Like, right. Also, he had to do the truffle shuffle. Oh my gosh. Also, remember <laughs> that when I went to visit you, I wanted to go see the Goonies house, but you told me that that's not allowed. I was it's so crushed, but I did get to see the area. <laughs> it's not anymore. Unfortunately, yeah, you got to go to Astoria where it was filmed, but the guy who were the Goonies was filmed, and he got sick of people coming to his house and just you know, he's behaving around it. So unfortunately, it's no longer possible. I can understand that. But you know what? If we go even more recent. So Friends definitely had a whole thing where Courtney Cox's character Mm. was, there was a joke that she used to be overweight. That show New Girl, that was another joke. There was a character in there that he was Mm -hmm. overweight. Big Bang Theory. So that's I think that show finally ended, but that they also had a thing where they had people wearing fat suits, and that was like the joke. Oh. Um, so I think, but but maybe it's changing. I mean, one thing that it does seem is that there's more representation of people with different body shapes and weight, even if there's a predominant right. one in most shows and movies. So I don't know. So that that might change, but it's I think still this American life, yeah. Recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of people, you know, just as you said, representation. So people are presenting people who may be overweight, but they're just not presented as a unidimensional stereotype, but rather as people who are complex and have, you know, depth like everybody else. And that may be that may be a more more helpful representation. Yeah, I, I think a lot about uh, there's an episode on This American Life, which did a very good episode on that. We can probably link to it. Uh, but essentially talking about uh, all, all of these issues that we talked about, although we've done it in a much, much more cogent, uh, much better, much better produced way. Uh, <laughs> just flawless transitions. But, I just, but you know, check out this American life about the, the tell me I'm fat episode, but it really, it, it, they did an interview, which is particularly poignant with, um, 
with an activist and she just talks about how dip you know like just the difficulties and like do you think i mean like do you think hey do you think that oh you're telling me about it? like do you think oh thank you i had no idea yeah well, of course i'm aware of that like, of course i know do you think i have not had the struggles you, I, i have internalized all those messages from society that you're trying to convey in your in your mask concern and it, they also interview somebody who worked used to work for uh, dan savage um And uh, you know, kind of his own essentially fat, uh, fat phobia and weight stigma. It was really interesting, and I, and I think it was it's it's very it's a very as more people um, come to the forum, become activists, and become more knowledgeable, and you know, listen on many other people. It's really really interesting, and the the um, the whole episode was inspired by Lindy and uh, the, the writer I'm talking about is Lindy West mm -hmm. and her book. Yeah, so it's uh, the book is shrill. So highly recommended, very interesting, and yeah. Uh, and Roxanne Gay is also that's right in there, right? And she's had um, bariatric surgery and wrote some interesting pieces mm. on that. So you're right. There's more. There's more open discussion, and as people share those experiences, I do wonder if that that changes the complexity with which people might view the issue, rather than oh, I'm just you know concerned or they deserve it because they're choosing it or something they might think a little bit more compassionately about how they approach people yeah and i, I guess that's if, if you had to say regarding that would be the i don't know if the, the final point but the signs on it um, because i think there's a, still the, pers the, the persistent belief because you know if you just change this or change that and then you will you know it's within your control but what the data show is that that's not quite right you know it's not it's not necessarily it's complex right it's complex it? and it's pretty hard to maintain lower body weight once you've lost it right which most people even know this personally that maintaining weight loss is very difficult and so often what we look at are at least I, I actually, I don't currently treat people with an eating disorders, but when I was, what we would, we would do is like the idea that you try to eat well, exercise and things like that for your body and understand that there are a lot of factors in there that even if everyone ate the exact same amount and exercised the exact same amount, we would still have right. different body types because right. there are other factors, including genetic influences. And so the bottom line is though, even if people did 100% mm -hmm. control their body weight and shape. It's not a loving, kind thing to do. It doesn't mm. help them to change anything if they need to change in the first place. And mm -hmm. it's often none of our business. So when it comes to Pelosi and Trump, it's to me, it's just a bigger issue that maybe is one factor in perpetuating this weight bias that seems to be pretty present and pernicious yeah i guess i, guess I would say yeah when i think about it you know regardless of which side of the of the political spectrum or wherever you might find yourself is you know that's what we presented on the beginning of the show you know both sides it's like okay so if you think you know it's pretty fire on one end what if it was on somebody that you care about or you admire and look up on Do you, how do you feel about somebody making those same points? Does it does it help? Does it do you, do you find it despicable? All right, then maybe that's not the, the approach that we want to take if we want to get to a point in which we strive for a more perfect union and a better, more civil discourse in political life. Yeah, yeah. well said. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and, I think that's the, that's the that's the most eloquent I've been in a long time. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> well, it's good, good that we usually <laughs> we usually start at about. 11 p.m. my time after a very long week <laughs> and so we're in our tip-top <laughs> conditions there you go we'll cue our outro music 